Welcome to Raising the Circle, a show interviewing passionate people who share stories of circular solutions. I'm your host, Solve Gurgaitita. Let's get started. Welcome back. Today we're speaking with Artelier Tony. It is an interior and furniture design studio with sustainability at heart. From the materials to the fabrication process, Artelier Tony focuses on turning trashed plastic and electronics into unique sculptures and pieces of art. Today we're speaking with Simone, the visionary and creator of the brand. Yes. Hi. Hi. <laughs> So we would love to hear about how it all began. Um, mm -hmm. How did the idea for the business come in and how did it lead you to where you are now? Yeah. So it didn't start out as a business. It was the um, one of the things that I made as a part of my master thesis at uh, university where I studied here in Copenhagen at KADK. And in my thesis, I was working with the plastic trash and specifically plastic trash when renovating the retail industry because they renovate so much in order to stay current and it's really a big source of waste because there's no regulation really. I mean, there is some, but not a lot in construction materials and the building industry. Uh, everything sort of just goes into one dumpster. So I was looking into how can you put value into some of this waste so it actually will be recycled because most of the time you need to add financial value to recyclables in order to actually have them recycled. So I had to come up with a production method that would make it very valuable and plastic traditionally is very cheap and therefore not worth recycling. So I had to come up with a more artful process and something handmade as well. Handmade always adds value to a product. So even if you have a cheap material and you hand make it, it automatically makes it a little bit more expensive. So it was just developed for that. It's a very theoretical product to begin with, and I only produced a small sample for my final exam. And then I didn't touch it for a year and a half. I finished school, went out to work in the industry. And one of the last places I worked, I was given a project where I was just greenwashing it away. And it wasn't what I wanted, and it like tore me apart and when I quit there I was like okay what if I go back to the furniture and the plastic and that's when I started this. So seeing that your master thesis had led you to completely start this project and continue it to this day and, mm -hmm. and incorporate Artelier Tony, what was the mission and the, the vision behind your project? Yeah the mission was basically just to create a company that is as sustainable as it can be, both in terms of production and also in mission. I mean, if if even if I make a zero waste product where I only make things from trash, so recycled plastic, recycled electronics, and don't you know produce any trash of my own, it is still not very, still not big enough. Like needs systemic change needs to happen, and I that's why I need. My mission now going forward, I've just started this and I'm struggling a little bit with how to communicate these things because it's incredibly heavy. As we talked about before we started recording, I talking about this is, in, in, is very tiring for the consumer and they also don't necessarily want to hear this much. They just want to be sustainable through purchasing a sustainable product and they want it very easy and they want it served in a nice way so they can go out and feel good about themselves. Um, And what I really wish to do is kind of promote how wasteful plastic is 
and how bad it is for the environment even before it hits the shelves, even before it become this product that needs to be recycled. It's already done so much damage. And yeah, then I have to sell products in order to get some money to talk about this, like hire people who are better to talk about it than me. I'm a designer, I can't really explain these things in a way and I'm not really like good at communicating. So I have, communi- I have communication people <laughs> and I would like to hire like really good supply chain managers and people who studied like environmental issues or like political issues. Um, I think that's more of my, my long-term goal, but starting a company that is the most sustainable thing it can be And I don't think a company that just sells sustainable products is sustainable. You need to want to do systemic change as well. It's interesting to hear you say the word sustainability as well, because as you shared, we talked a little bit before we recorded and that that is a word that's becoming more important to define and Mm -hmm. it's being a bit used everywhere Mm -hmm. so it's important to see the circularity that's involved throughout the entire cycle as you say the supply chain um, the the communication of how you let people know that it's sustainable so I'm really curious how exactly does your circularity work within your business so I only work with recycled plastic I get it from varying sources that is one of the things that is so hard to work with recycled product and not virgin products is that sourcing them takes forever. It's very expensive. Like normal plastic you can get as cheap as, or like not normal, I should say virgin plastic, you can get as cheap as um, half a corner per kilo, uh, which is so cheap. And it comes from China in very big bags and you can get it any color or quality you like. And the plastic I buy, the most expensive one, which is maybe 80% of my production, is comes in at 56 kroner per kilo. The quality is super varied. Uh, I never know what result I'm going to get when I start molding. And there's a very limited array of colors. And there's also no um, antioxidants in there, so it's a little bit more toxic to work with, actually. And it's just all in all like a really difficult product to work with but it is kind of necessary because everyone thinks plastic is recyclable you turn you have a plastic thing you turn it around and you see the little symbol underneath which looks like a recycling symbol but it is not it is a symbol developed by the plastic industry just to distinguish the different types it doesn't mean that it's recyclable most plastic is theoretically recyclable in a lab but realistically it's too expensive to recycle and there's no incentive from industry to do it so that's also what I want to do with my work I want to take the really difficult to recycle plastic and make something out of it um, in order to give it that monetary value that makes it worth to recycle um, I don't know what people think happens to plastic when they throw it out in the recycling bin, but most of it never gets recycled, even though it has the symbol. And even though, like they can, you know, they can do so many things now. They can clean it, they can sort it, but in the end, when there's this clean, sorted product, plastic product in one pile, 
most of the time it's just shipped away to be burned. They, they did everything correctly. The consumer, the construction, pl- the recycling plant, they did it correctly, but it's just going to be burned. Or sometimes it's going to be shipped to the global south and they're going to use a lot of crude oil or like marine fuel, I think it's called, to ship it there. And plastic is a byproduct of the oil industry. So you have this product that you recycle and you think you did something good, right? But then it gets on this container ship and more or maybe equal amounts of plastic gets produced just to ship your recyclable and then it gets shipped back to you where we buy it so you buy this thing made out of like let's say it's a shampoo bottle it's very big right now to have shampoo bottles made out of recycled plastic i almost guarantee you that that recycled plastic bottle has produced more virgin plastic than it has recycled plastic in it it's a massive massive problem and it's just pacifying the consumer so much which is also why all the plastic i use is from denmark or from europe it's so hard to tell that to the consumer like your sustainable plastic bottle with shampoo at home is so the opposite of sustainable and i'm sorry you feel better for buying it but it's like the worst thing you can do because it pacifies you And then you don't go out and demand systemic change or actually try and navigate the plastic industry, which is a whole nother thing, like, because it's so connected to big oil corporations. It's it's really politically, it's so impossible to change anything with plastic because it, it's linked to oil. That's what I'm having a hard time telling people. <laughs> it's a big message to deliver, mm-hmm. especially because you as a consumer you're choosing the best that you can so if i'm buying a shampoo bottle that says it's recycled i'm much more interested in that however we don't hear the entire supply chain as you say or the entire life cycle of this product Mm -mm. maybe it was shipped from denmark to the global south to be repurposed and then brought back as my shampoo bottle Mm -hmm. and that is completely left out of the story so it it becomes really important to Mm -hmm. know the entirety or try to buy locally as you're doing you know, focusing on recycled plastic or thrown away plastic just of Denmark or just of Europe mm-hmm. to minimize the shipping or the, the distance it has to travel to become something new. Plastic is so stupid. It's just <laughs> um, so, yeah, why do I use plastic if it's so stupid? It could be a good question. And hmm. so, it's, I mean, I thought a lot about this because... Some some people also ask me, like, is the energy you use for your machine, is that green energy? And no, it isn't. Um, and even though, like, I transport, whenever I buy plastic, I transport it on my bike. And, you know, I did all these things I told you about before. Like, I use zero waste, a dumpster dive, the cardboard for my molds and all of that. And I think, you know, it doesn't make a difference. If you made the math for all of the stuff I do there's no conceivable difference in the world and it's I'm never going to be able to have a big enough company to make a difference I think the goal of my company should be promoting some kind of systemic change if I want to make a difference like in the numbers I think ultimately that's the sustainable goal of my company and I'm a designer so this is going to be the way I do it I'm not very good with politics I'm not going to go into lobbying Um, and I think no one is without responsibility in making the world greener and everyone can do it in their way like with their job 
And this is just how I did it. And then hopefully I will one day make enough money to actually hire people who can help me make the systemic change because I'm not going to make a systemic change by pushing sustainable products at people. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be big enough. It sounds like the roots of it essentially for you now are educating your consumers in finding ways to capture their attention, to share a bit of how you've created your product mm -hmm. in order to take steps towards that systemic. It's a big mission. It's a mm -hmm. huge mission. And Yeah, I don't know how it's going to go, honestly, <laughs> but I hope it will be good. I really like how you're saying to use the skills that you have. Like You are a designer and that is your area of strong suit. Mm -hmm. And that's what you can focus on instead of you know jumping into being a lobbyist or <laughs> jumping into being a communication something or a supply chain manager. That's just not, it would take you too much energy too. So you are using what you have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of the indirect route to systemic change, which I think everyone can kind of take in some way. I really resonate also with how you say that we're all responsible in some way for the green transition. Mm -hmm. And that's a really both empowering message to receive, but also a bit daunting when you're not sure how. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's, ex yeah. It's extremely stressful. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, people want to feel good about themselves and what they do. And right now, the f you know, so many people like wanting to ban plastic straws and whatnot. And it's kind of hard every day to refuse a straw or whatever. Like you have to remember it. You have to be very cautious of it. And when you do it and you, you know, don't use this plastic straw, you feel like this, you feel happy and you feel like you did the environment like a massive favor. But again, if you do the math of all the plastic straws used in the world, no difference, like no difference at all. Like, honestly, um, it's so small. Like, again, it is what the consumer kind of want is to feel good about the things that they buy. And then plastic straws are not going to make a big enough difference. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, sometimes I even use plastic straws just as like a protest. So people will talk about it with me because I can use a plastic straw and it's never going to make any difference. I mean, if everyone said that, it wouldn't have. Yeah, I would much rather talk to people about where plastic comes from and how it's pushed so heavily towards us. Exxon, I think it's like the fifth most polluting company in the world. And the top 20 most polluting companies are just gas, oil and coal. And Exxon is gas. And I think under COVID and like with all of the rise of electrical cars, it's been really bad for them the last few years. And They're now planning to grow like, I think it's 4% every year by going into plastics. Like single-use plastics is oil companies plan B. So if you feel like single-use plastic and in here straws is already being pushed at you, just wait 10 years until that's the only way oil companies can make money. Because there's no more cars they can, you know, sell oil to. So it's all gonna be selling single-use plastic and they're gonna like double down on lobbyists, they're gonna like double down on products and it's gonna be almost impossible to avoid single-use plastic unless we start the systemic change now. And with the rates of recycling is working, I know you've, I don't know if you want to talk about it, but if there's a double amount of single-use plastic and recycling is not really, you know, 
recycling 100% of the material, we're going to be in a very bad state. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Daunting, yet it starts now mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, actually, with so much passion that you speak, what was sustainability, what did it mean to you in your childhood? Was it a part of your upbringing? No, not at all. Not in any way. Only in terms of like saving money on the electricity bill, but that's all. And you grew up in Copenhagen or? No, in, in Jutland. In Jutland. Okay, mm-hmm. so biking around or cars and not cars, so Cars, actually. We were a little mm-hmm. bit on the countryside, so it was hard to get anywhere with, uh, with buses and bikes. So, yeah. And how did it bloom in you then with this, it feels like this entrepreneurial spirit as well as sustainability, very much at the forefront of the passion and the motivation that I hear in mm-hmm. what you share? I don't actually even know. I think, I think just growing up in our time. Yeah, they at school they want us to work with sustainable topics a lot, but I think it is just growing up and... When I was younger, I mean, I'm not that old right now, but like <laughs> 10 years ago or something, I was traveling a lot and kind of seeing poverty for the first time and how they are just flooded with trash and how the world is different from Denmark and how we are very good at hiding our trash here because that's the most comfortable thing. But in other countries where they don't have the same infrastructure and money and politics, it's trash is not hidden and oftentimes they receive our trash. So you just you just see it so much more and... Global warming is already happening so much for them. And, you know, it's not really happening for us, so it can be very easy to forget that it's happening. And we're actually the one doing it to them and ultimately in the end to us. So I think around that time it started to fall into place. And now circularity seems quite at the root of what you do, right? Repartnering with with different distributors of plastic within Denmark or around Europe. Mm-hmm. Is that something that's non-negotiable to you in, in Artelier Tony? Very non-negotiable. I want to, as I said in the very beginning, I want to take plastic and add value to it so it will get recycled. Because we talked a little bit about how much of the plastic we actually put in the recycling bin that's burned. So how do I take that plastic and turn it into a product with value so it doesn't get burned? And... A lot of the time it's like the actual recycling of the product or the washing or the treatment process or just the market for that specific type of plastic is kind of small. And I want to just want to, that's also why my method is so simple in the way I work. So there's less of a requirement to like density and all of the softness and hard, like softness and hardness gloss, the way it flows in the mold. Like there's not a lot of demand for the plastic. The most of the 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 stress on the process is in the handwork, which is very adaptable because that's a human doing it and not a very specialized machine, which plastic a lot of the time is. It's very specialized in when you, I don't know, like if you make a plastic bottle, the machine is like bigger than your living room. And it's like, if one thing goes wrong, you know, they have to like stop everything and like figure out what it is. So that is a lot of plastic production, but mine is so simple. So I, can, I wanna work with the, with the plastic that is hard and expensive to recycle. And so you're the ones that you say the glossy ones or the, it wasn't matte, but the ones that you just mentioned, those specific plastics are, you are taking them specifically because they're difficult to recycle in Denmark. Is that correct? Yes and no. They're not difficult to recycle in Denmark, they're difficult to sell in Denmark 
because there's um, I mean they're difficult to sell everywhere because they're the most expensive version of plastic and why would you from a monetary perspective buy it when you can buy cheap recycled plastic from the global south it's both recycled you know but one is very cheap and the other one is very expensive so buying because we do consume plastic in Denmark so buying recycled plastic from the area you are in is just you know it's as important as buying local in general And um, we do have the facilities to recycle a lot of plastic here in Denmark. It just gets sent away. It doesn't stay. Right now, I work with a plastic that's actually a little bit more easy to recycle, but it's only due to toxicity. I don't have all the safety equipment to work with some of the more difficult ones. I would love to, but uh, yeah, it's a hefty bill that I need to like figure out how to pay for all the equipment. But yeah, I'm in terms of being at my end goal of like really making a difference in terms of plastic in Europe, I'm not there. And when you say safety equipment, is it's the toxicity of burning it then, right? So you're having the face mask and the gases, yeah, the gases. Okay, and then it elevates the more complex the plastic, I assume, the more you yeah. need to protect yourself. Yeah. Last week I tried working with a new type of plastic, and I worked with it for 15 minutes and. I could just smell it through my mask through the entire time and I just needed to like close the door to the workshop, open a window and go home and not come back before the day after. I was like, this is Kansas City. My equipment is not good enough. I need to leave. So good you were able to yeah. Yeah, safety check yourself yeah. and know that this is a stop and it's not, it won't compromise your own, yeah, your own yeah. health. So throughout your journey, I'm sure you've pivoted many times and you've had hurdles stand in your way. Can you share some stories of how you've overcome some of the obstacles that stood in front of you? Just keep on pushing, I think, in a very gentle and kind way, or you're kind of doing it with a smile. I think one of the hardest things for me is definitely finding the plastic and buying it. It's a massive industry, and the standard for purchasing amounts is kind of one ton, <laughs> one metric ton, <laughs> and I don't, I can't, I can't fit it anywhere. So finding someone who can sell me smaller quantities, but still have a very satisfactory supply chain. And also like a transparent supply chain is super hard. And there is some gatekeeping in the community with recycled plastic because people kind of want to be the most sustainable and they don't want to share with other companies. And I've, that has been a little bit of a hurdle, but just, yeah keep on being kind and like pushing people a little bit and like telling them why it's important that they sell this plastic to me is probably been the hardest part. What words do you use to persuade them when you were met with this like I'm a gatekeeper? Oh, the, get you, out. They, they don't say that most of the time they just ignore me. Okay. Um I think I know I'm much more persuasive and easy to talk to in person. I am I hate emails. I'm dyslexic. I don't know how to talk to people convincingly in email. So a lot of the time I will find another excuse to meet up with them or something like just kind of get in the same room as them or even have a call if they will agree to that. That's how I know I function the best is as soon as I can talk to people in real life. It it always works better. And why do you think this exists? You know, you would think that such a big problem as plastic waste would mean that there should be a network of Let's share the the things that are being thrown away. Let's use the resources together. And yet 
as you're saying, some want to be more sustainable than others. Yeah. There's no network that you found so far that supports the mission and the, oh God, the no, policy yes. change? Yes, there is. It's just locally, mm. I feel like we are a little bit not helping each other. But globally, there is Precious Plastic, the amazing nonprofit that kind of just wants plastic recycling for all. They want it very easy and accessible. Everything they do with machines and knowledge is open source. They have an incredibly helpful team. They have a massive Discord server, which I was just on yesterday talking about a new product I wanted to develop. And, you know, within two hours, I have all the information that I need. So that is amazing. I would love to hear more about one new product that you released. Mm -hmm. So maybe we can make it more realistic for those that are listening. It's the Donny lamp, which mm -hmm. is made of 100% recycled plastic. Mm -hmm. And you've even used about 50% recycled or repurposed electric. Yeah. Um, wiring and I'm not sure what else sockets I suppose and all these yeah, elements where the bulb is kind of sitting <laughs> that part <laughs> it probably has a technical name yeah I f so the lamp is one of the first things I kind of wanted to create it's a massive piece it takes a week to hand mold it is so laborious and along the way kind of just being interested in trash and recyclability I found out how much electronic waste we have And how much it's a grown um, problem. So I just basically find lamps and electronic parts like online and in thrift stores and stuff. And I use it for my lamps. Like I know exactly kind of what I'm looking for. So I'm not like buying a massive storage of like electronics that I'm never going to use. And um, I just try and incorporate that in the lamps. Some of it has to be new just for... I mean, people are paying so much money for it, so kind of the, 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 it has to be a finished and balanced design. But all the internal pieces, they can't see anyways. And um, yeah, you can just use old wiring. I mean, not old wiring. Everything is checked and um, made by an electrician. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's safe and stuff. Like electronics, you know, the most of the stuff we throw out is not old anyways it's like an ikea lamp you bought two years ago that you don't like the looks of anymore it, i mean it's not broken you know so yeah that's you can find you can find so much dumpster diving is a lifestyle and you can find everything in a dumpster everything you need so yeah why not find my electronics there interesting yeah it is definitely a way more um, normalized thing here in denmark i feel dumpster diving both for food or A lot of the pieces that you see here, like this commode we found in our store shelf mm -hmm. and all the crates that you see there and these were from DBA. Somebody was like, we don't want them anymore. Yeah. So everything, actually everything here is from secondhand. Um, but there's a lot being wasted and it's really interesting to hear that you're tapping into from going from plastic, but also tackling a little bit of this electronic waste in Denmark. Mm -hmm. Um, and was that something new completely to this project that you were inspired by in some way from hearing the facts perhaps of how much we waste? Mm -hmm. I think it's a holistic approach that I have to take. You don't become sustainable by doing one thing. And I have to look at every aspect of producing a product. Like initially I wanted it to be all-purposed, repurposed electronics, but it takes way too long. And the lamp would become infinitely more expensive and so much harder to produce and sell. So it's just a sacrifice I had to make. Maybe in the future it can change if people 
if I get better about talking about my product or people start to conceive me as more like a high-end company, I can do it. But yeah, the truth is producing 100% like holistically sustainable is very expensive. And um, a little bit of dreaming together. Mm -hmm. So we know that there's a lot of climate crisis and a lot of CO2 overload and a lot of conversation of we need to do and take action. How do you wish to see that change in this world in the coming years? I think I don't think the question is how are we going to save the earth? I think the question is how do we limit the amount of fucked up things we did to ourselves? Yeah, because the world is going to suck for a lot of people. I mean, it already does, but it's going to that group of people is going to expand a lot. And how do we feel about that? Think about all the... I mean, this is going to be so dark. <laughs> think about all the plane rides you've done in your life, right? How many people do you think that affected negatively? And do you want to like maybe do something for the environment to kind of level that out? So you stop affecting people negatively for the rest of your life, you know? And it's it's not about how do we make the world not completely fall apart it's like how many people can you not fuck up with your actions and i think that's what motivates me i don't know how many people i've fucked up in my life you know i've flown around i've like bought a lot of stuff throughout my life but i don't want to do that anymore that's the lightest i can make it <laughs> But I hear that it's yeah. about awareness, right? Mm -hmm. Awareness and the choices that we take. And it's okay that if we flew around a lot in the, pa in the past because we just didn't know better. Mm -hmm. I think Maya Angelou says, when we know better, we do better. Yeah. And that's what I hear in your answer. It's self-awareness of the actions that we take going forward. I think that's very wise and something to consider the impact of everything that we choose. Thank you very much. It has been insightful and exciting. Yeah, share this conversation of both, I think, some of the world problems mm -hmm. and some of the solutions that we're working towards as individuals being responsible for the actions that we take. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. I create these podcasts to inspire listeners to live more conscious lives and bring these circular solutions to the forefront of our minds. And if you have any questions, feedback, or you want to be a guest on the show, reach out to me on any one of my social media channels or email me at raisingthecircle at gmail.com. Now, please do me a favor and share this podcast with one person that you think might enjoy it. Thanks again for listening and until next time.